0: And we are so pleased to have Nathan Ogden. Nathan Ogden is one of the most inspirational individuals that you'll ever meet. And you'll see why in a minute. But he is the CEO of Chair the Hope. And we'll also get into that. And Nathan, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, I'm really excited to be here. I think this will be a lot of fun. Absolutely
0: right. Matter of fact, the first time I ever met you was at a, it was a, It was a conference where a lot of the churches got together and you were the keynote speaker and you're nationally known. I thought, how did they get this guy?
1: (laughs) Two miles down the road. Oh,
2: (laughs) it was proximity. Proximity proximity factor. Well, the neat thing
0: is I remember you handing me your card and I still have that card and yeah yeah and i just remember reading that the back of that i don't know if you could say it says take control uh take control of your fears and move from paralysis to progress and i'm just wondering if you wouldn't mind telling the audience why that is such a big deal right now have and they don't know anything about you right now unless they have read about you but can you tell us a little bit about your story
1: yeah no i i number one i think progress in anybody's life is is what makes your life you know it's it's always finding a way to continually be moving forward whatever direction that takes you but that you're always moving forward and I think so many times in our lives um, we have big things happen that stop us in our tracks And, and you know it may feel like someone punched you in the gut and you don't know what to do or where to go And that's when you've got to make decisions quickly as to what you're going to do. Are you going to stay where you're at for a while? Are you going to start trying to get traction and move forward the best that you can? Um, And there's many people, many, many people who just, they wait and they're frozen. And and I like to use it because I am paralyzed, but that that a lot of us are mentally paralyzed and we get stuck in, in this rut. We get stuck in our comfort zones, and we don't move and live the kind of life that we really want to live. And that's that's inside of us, our potential. And we we hold our we hold ourselves back. It's not everyone else around you that holds you back in life. Typically, it's it's not your boss that's keeping you from a promotion. It's it's not as an athlete that your coach is the only one that's stopping you from getting there or other players. It's It's typically yourself. And are you willing to put in the work to get to where you want to be? Um, Are you willing to sacrifice enough to see your dreams come true? And uh, so I, to make it more brief at, uh, I, I grew up, I grew up in Boise. I love, I love the mountains. I love camping and hiking and fishing and hunting. I love sports. I always was doing a sport. Um, I ended up playing uh, soccer at, in college at, at Rick's college for a little bit. Um, and so I did a lot of different sports throughout high school. And, um, I just, I love being active. I love doing that kind of stuff. And so I, uh, when I went to Rick's college for my, my second year, after I served a two year mission, uh, for the LDS church, I, I came back and, you know, at that point, you're kind of like, I was uh, 21 years old and you're starting to look more for a spouse and a career. And I did what any, any person in particular guys do when you go to a class for the first time and you sit down, what is it that you do? Like, what would you guys do in college back there in Arizona state?
2: Oh man, I was searching. (laughs) for what? You scope the scenery. You see what's, uh, <laughs> yeah, what kind of target-rich environment am I in? It's,
0: it's an unfortunate thing. Yes, I was. I was definitely looking for my uh, my significant other.
1: <laughs> exactly. So that's that's what I did, and I think that's what most people do. Is you even in high school, you sit down, and I'm looking around the room. Who's the cutest girl in here? And do I stand a shot at her? And I sat down, I looked around, there was one girl and she was across the room and she was talking to a bunch of boys. And I thought, that's the girl, that's the girl in this room. And I, I kind of shot myself down and I thought that's who I'd like to get to know, but she's too popular. She's too cute. She's not going to look at me and want to do anything. And, uh, luckily there ended up being a seating chart in that class. (laughs) Like That totally worked to my benefit. And so we ended up sitting next to each other. And so I got to know her, but she always had a boyfriend. And uh, between boyfriends, right, during Christmas time, I took her out on one date, and then I went home for Christmas. And by the time we got back together, she had another boyfriend. <laughs> So I've been going, I've been going on a whole bunch of first dates that, that year I came back off a of mission and at, at the end of the year there's a month left in school. And I, f- I found a way, even though she had a boyfriend that I could get some private time with her because I lived in Boise and she had a sister who lived in Meridian right next to Boise. And so I said, Hey, Heather, I'm going to be driving home this weekend. Do You want to ride <laughs> and I'll drop you off at your sister's house. So then I get this other guy's girlfriend in my truck for four and a half hours, two ways um, to work my magic. (laughs) So I'd done that a couple times that spring. And then, so we were back in Boise. I brought her back to her sister's house and uh, we were going back to school the next day. And I called her up and she said, Hey, you want to go for a drive? And we just Kind of went on a little drive together, not really a date or anything, but, um, and as I was dropping her off at her sister's house, we're sitting in the driveway and I looked over and I said, Heather, I have been on a lot of first dates this last year, but you are the only girl I want to go on a second date with. I thought that was a pretty good pickup line. <laughs> like that should work. That should be in a movie somewhere. And I, uh, so I said, here's what I think should happen. Now, granted, I was very shy. I did not, like, especially around girls. Like, this is not who I am. But uh, I said, when we go back to school tomorrow, I think you should dump your boyfriend. (laughs) (laughs) And we should go on some dates and see if there's something there. Because I graduate in a month, and I'm moving on, and you'll still be here. So we need to figure this out. And she did not say yes but she didn't say no. (laughs) She just kind of looked at me and, huh, all right. And she got out of the car, but I learned an important lesson that day. If there's something that you really want, you got to fight for it and you got to stand up for it. So we went back to school that next day, a week later, she had dumped her boyfriend. We dated seriously for one month. We were engaged for one month and I've been married uh, 24 years now.
0: Oh, fantastic.
1: So it works <laughs> I would, I've got daughters now that I would say no don't don't get near that guy <laughs> does that but but it worked for us and I uh, and so I've got an amazing wife, Heather, and uh, she's an extraordinary woman and mother and spouse and just always thinking of others. she's an, that's who you should have on here, not me. She's the amazing one in our relationship, but so we'd been married for four and a half years. I was 26 years old. We had two little kids, a little girl who was two years old named Senia and a little boy who's just about turned one named Kyler. And I'd graduated college, had a degree. My career was taking off. We would bought our first home, you know. I had a black lab. I mean, everything that you kind of think you would want at 26 years old, we, we had it. And we had a really good life. Um, and, and we went to her parents' house. She's from Bend, Oregon for Christmas mm-hmm. that winter. And I love to go snow skiing. Um, and we, I went with her younger brother up to Mount Bachelor in Bend, mm-hmm. Oregon to go snow skiing three days before Christmas. And while we're up there on the hill, we're coming down on our last run. And we, we came around onto a run that we hadn't been on. And there are two big jumps on it. And I love going off jumps. I'm not, I don't do backflips and 360s, but I love flying through the air. So after the second jump, there were about 25 to 30 people that were watching as people came off that jump. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to do this. And my brother-in-law skied down and he was waiting in the group watching, and it was my turn, and I jump, flip my skis around. Do either of you guys ski? Oh, yeah. Yep, yep. Okay, do you snowboard? Yep. Okay, that's not a real sport <laughs> right now, so I start skiing down to the first jump, and I hit it, and it's kind of more of a tabletop jump that that right. goes up, it flattens off for a while and then back the other side. I didn't know that and I didn't hit it hard enough. Oh. So I went up and I slapped down on top of the jump and I went down the other side. So I'm coming up on the second jump and it's lightly snowing. I can't see real clearly. Um, and then my confidence in my ability started to turn to cockiness because now there's 30 people there watching you. Right. And so instead of because I'd never hit this jump. I knew it was a big jump. Instead of being cautious, I tucked in tight and went straight into the middle of this jump. And I knew instantly when I hit that jump that I was in trouble.
0: Because
1: instead of shooting you out and up, like a jump should, I went almost straight up in the air. A kicker. Like a kicker. 30 30 feet into the air. Now I That wasn't what I said. I knew I went high. This is what the people said, how high I got. Mm. I remember every bit of this. I never blacked out or anything, but I remember going up and I slowly rotated backwards. Like I can still visualize the clouds in my mind right now. And I came down and I landed on my neck and my body collapsed down on top of me. (sighs) My poles and ski, everything went flying, even my hat. And I ended up in this fetal position um, on the ski run. And my first thought was, I look like such an idiot. You know, I got to get up. And I quickly tried to get up. And all I could do is move my left elbow. And it fell back down to the snow. And I thought, ah, it's all right. Knocked the wind out of myself. No big deal. And so I waited a few moments. And I tried to get up again. And I could only move that elbow half as high. Oh. And I, I remember this very vividly in that kind of fetal position looking down at my legs and right then there was this burning pain that began throughout my whole body and it felt like I was on fire and it was getting harder and harder for me to breathe and I remember looking at my leg thinking move why aren't you moving Mm -hmm. like my whole life I've fallen down I've wrecked in all different sports and bike riding, whatever it is, and I always get up. It may hurt, but I get up. Why can't I get up? Right. And I couldn't figure that out. Why isn't my body working? And I didn't realize it, but I had, when I landed on my neck, I shattered my C7 vertebrae at the bottom of your neck, and it exploded and instantly paralyzed me. But I still, even when they got me back to the hospital and everything, I still thinking I just traumatized my body, you know, I'll give it a day, maybe two. I'll be walking around. No big deal. You know, I'll be fine for Christmas. Um, but no, that, that obviously is a major gut punch. Right. In your right. Um, three days later, when I when I remember, I guess I was awake. My wife said I was through Christmas, but they had me on some good drugs. So I don't remember anything for a few days. But when I woke up and I, I saw that I was in a halo, I had a, a ventilator breathing for me. Um, all these tubes and wires. It was a, a realization that, oh, crap, you know, yeah, this is serious. And I may never walk again. But luckily I've got an amazing wife and we, we knew, even though I couldn't, at that point, I couldn't even talk to her because you got a machine breathing for you. Wow. But I knew we would work together and that I knew that I would walk again. Um, I may not be running around the mountains like I used to, but I will walk again. Right. And uh, that was kind of the first big hit in our marriage, in my life that I didn't know how to handle it because I couldn't get up and physically fix it. Uh, and I think as men, a lot of times that's what we are. We're fixers. Like we get up and it's okay if it hurts, but I can still get it done. Whether it's sports or whether it's work or doing anything, you can, you can just muscle your way through it. And now I couldn't do that. And that was hard.
0: Yeah. Oh my goodness. I I'm just wondered what were some of the, some of the thoughts I, I, I can't imagine. I, I, I remember breaking some bones and collarbones. Actually, Gary was there for one of those, those bones. And it's it's just a helpless feeling. And I'm just wondering what how? And and just looking at Gary, you could tell it, he, he's he's a nurse, <laughs> he's a head nurse, and so he knows all this stuff too. But what how did you overcome a lot a lot of those debilitating thoughts? You knew you're gonna walk. And you knew that it was in you to walk, but how did you overcome that initial shock and the feeling sorry for yourself and all those other things that I'm sure you probably came, came into a million times more than I ever did with any of my
1: injuries. Um, I think at first it was survival. Mm -hmm. Like for a while, for a few months, it was just, I was just trying to survive because I had to have different surgeries, like a lung collapse and, you know, you're just trying to, I got to live first. And yes, you do have all these thoughts going through your mind. I I, I was continually um, thinking of how am I going to provide for our family? You know, am I even going to be a good father? Is And I, I remember very vividly in this, within those first few weeks, just thinking of all these things of, Is is it going to be better? if I just pass away now. So my kids have a dad that can run around and play sports with them and teach them how to do all this stuff. Is it going to be better if my wife has a spouse, it's not possibly laying in a bed the rest of his life and can't earn the the money that they need to survive? Can't, you know, in, in a lot of personal ways, it's like, you know, can't, you can't be romantic with your wife the way, you used to be able to, you, you can't come up and just pick her up and give her a hug and, you know, help take out the trash. There's just so many little things in our lives that we take for granted that all of a sudden may be completely gone. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and I don't, I, I don't have a great answer of how I get through that other than I always never, I never give up hope. I never give up hope that It'll either get the way I want it to be, or I'll find a different path to be happy with it and to be satisfied with where I'm at. Because um, even today, there's, I struggle all the time when I how you put that. So like right now it's hunting season. And uh, I, I grew up hunting with my with my dad. Yeah. And so I take my kids out. And I'm trying to teach them how to hunt and I'm trying, we've had good success. The kids have been able to get things, but it's a chore because I struggle with, I get to take them up there and I'm like, all right, guys, here's what the mountains look like. Here's where the trails, this is what you're going to have to do. And good luck. You know, I've got to walk you talk. Hopefully I can hear you and good luck. And I don't get to get out and walk up that trail and look over the next horizon with them. Right. And that's very difficult for me. And so I have to quickly try and shift my my focus onto what, what can I do?
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh, so like, for instance, a few weeks ago, I was out with one of my youngest daughters and I was able to drop her off on some mountains. And I'm like, all right, you guys hike through these canyons. And then I leave them. And I started driving around everywhere, trying to find more animals. And I was able to actually find a big, bu- a nice buck, came back, radioed them. They came down, got in the truck. We drove back over. I told them how to find it. They went up and they shot it. So it's like I did everything I could and I was able to be a part of it. But man, I'd love to have been right by your side when it happens. And, but I, we all deal with that. So that's not just something that's with me. When we're growing up, you always have things in your mind that you envision that you want to do and you envision it a certain way. Um, and then when life starts to happen, we realize that that's not going to be the way we wanted it. So like Maurice, you probably thought you'd have hair. You, yeah. don't. <laughs> so, <laughs> you don't, you just, you got to deal with it and you accept it and you make the best you can of it. It, but it doesn't mean it still doesn't bother you, but, uh, you, you gotta, you gotta get past it.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. Hey,
1: Nathan, can you, uh,
2: just a, a quick question. Like I said, I'm, I, I'm in healthcare and, and I see a lot of people, basically I'm, I'm more in the, the trauma and emergency department side of things. But one thing that I always like to when I when I meet people down the road a little bit and see how they progressed or where they're at, can you give me an example of a person or something that you remember that just made a difference when you were going through that situation? And why did it mean
1: so much to you? That's good. That's a good question. And number one, thank you, because it's it's people like you and your careers that help people like me survive and be able to do the things that I do. So I, I really appreciate medical side of things and, and caregivers are tremendous, whatever that, whatever role that caregiver steps into. Um, Thank you. There's a, there's a, man, I got a lot of like negative experiences (laughs) in the time in the hospitals and people I'm like, you should not be in here. You shouldn't have this job. But there are there are definitely many that uh, really made a big difference, and I, I just to give one example would be uh well two I had a when I was in more of the therapy side of things, and I was in the Elks hospital here in in Boise area, a rehab hospital and uh, I remember one of my caregivers or not caregivers, one of my uh therapists um, can't remember if he was an occupational therapist. I can't remember which therapist he was, but he would come in with a whole plan of what he was going to do that day with me. And I'd start sharing with him, you know, kind of how I felt or what was on my mind. And he would just completely shift everything that he had planned and say, all right, well then let's take care of that. And he would listen to me. And I think that on a medical side of stuff, is one of the biggest things that a, a someone can do is just really listen to what I'm saying, um, because I'm not making it up. <laughs> like I'm not, sure. I'm not just, hey, you know what? My shoulder's really killing me because I think it'd be a fun topic. No, it really hurts, and uh, so I loved that about him, and that stood out. And I actually, ran into him a couple of weeks ago. It'd been years and years since I'd seen him and i made a point to tell him that i'm like i really appreciated the way you you helped me and took care of me um you tell that he really cared um the other was that my neurosurgeon actually neurosurgeons are very their time is very well kept in the matter that it's it's hard to get their attention and and what you need other than the time they have allotted to you and uh it was Dr. Jutsi um here in Boise. He did well, we haven't got to this point, but after my first let me get to your answer in just a second, but yeah you, yeah this, this, this is support. huge. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: well let me I'll finish that real quick, but he was he was uh, one of my neurosurgeons um with the neck break, and afterwards i after I was able to go back home. After that surgery, um, I was having some complications one night and it was on a weekend. Um, He wasn't working and I'm not sure why, but he gave my wife his number his personal number and said, if you have troubles, give me a call. And we were, my wife, because, you know, she's going through crazy stuff now. She's got a husband who's a quadriplegic. She's got two little kids. She's got all the same worries that I have just in a different way. And uh, I remember she called him up and said, Nathan's really struggling. He's having a hard time with whatever it was. And he dropped everything on a Saturday morning and drove out to our house and made a house call and came in as like the head neurosurgeon for the whole hospital, came out to our house and spent an hour with us and Gave personal attention that helped me, and it helped Heather. And uh, that's just the kind of guy he was. I'm not saying every doctor needs to do house calls, but that uh, that made a huge difference in our lives, and um, we're still friends with him today.
2: Oh yeah, that's
1: awesome. That's did, so cool.
0: That's amazing. And you did bring up something because there's another part of the story. It wasn't just the it wasn't just a ski accident. I was reading a little bit and I remember your story that there was a little bit more to that, that, that became another big trial. And just wondering if you could go into that a little bit and some of the things that you learned from that experience.
1: Yeah. So the, after that neck break, we, uh, when I was up snow skiing, um, so 13 months later, uh, I had gotten back most of the use of my upper body. It'd been very hard, but we worked really hard a week because it was a team effort. And uh, I was able to go back to work full-time. I had a truck equipped so that I could drive uh, because I don't drive minivans. (laughs) You you think think like paralysis, you think of a van, like automatically, like they go together. And I told her (laughs) when I was in the hospital and they started to look for vans. I said, no, like you can leave me in here to die, but I am not getting in a minivan. So we figured out a way to make it work. And so I had a truck equipped so I could drive. I was getting healthier and my legs were starting to move just a little bit. Not much at all, but they were starting to move. So in my mind, I will walk again. Like there's no doubt it's going to happen. And we fully believed in it. And uh, I came down with pneumonia um, that winter and my lungs aren't as strong as the rest of you guys. And so Heather said, we needed to go into the doctor. And I said, ah, I don't want to go back to a doctor. So, said, but tomorrow, if I'm not feeling better, we'll go. Well, in the middle of the night, my blood oxygen level dropped too low. And uh, I went unconscious in my sleep and Heather woke up in the middle of the night and she felt prompted to come wake me up and she couldn't. So they rushed me into the hospital early in the morning and I'm laying on in the x-ray room. I'm laying on the gurney. They got it kind of propped up behind me, almost sitting with some wedges to get a good x-ray shot of my lungs. And there's just myself, the x-ray tech in the room. And Heather's sitting in a chair just outside the door. And I am unconscious still. And I fell off the x-ray table and broke my neck a second time.
0: Oh, man. Yeah. Uh.
1: The, second one, the second one was a little bit higher up at the C6 level. Uh. After that one, I lost, I lost the use of my hands. It's like, I can't move my fingers at all. I can kind of pull my wrist one direction my triceps like I can't straighten my arm out and everything from the chest down so half of what I'd worked so hard to get back had just been ripped out from under me but i remember vividly when when i came to they were giving me oxygen they'd moved me to a different room i i remember it being like the lights off it was kind of a cold room and heather came in and she she told me what had happened—that I had broke my neck again. Uh, we were being rushed to a—we're we being rushed to a different hospital for surgery, and that was with Doctor Jutsi coming to, coming into the picture. And as she told me everything about the neck break, I told her three words, and it wasn't "I love you." <laughs> I, I looked at her and I could barely even talk. And I just said, bring it on. (laughs) Love it. And I don't, I don't say that in like some prideful way, bring it on. I can handle it. I, I, I remember thinking it's okay. You know, we've done this before. We can do it again. We know how to do it. We can do it faster. We better, I'll, I'll get back whatever movement I lost real quickly because We've got this, we know what to do, right? It's better. It happened to me twice than someone else once. Mm -hmm. And so we took off on that and that was our attitude immediately. It doesn't matter. I'm still going to walk and give it a week or two. We be back to where we were. The problem was after a few months, I still wasn't getting back the movement I wanted. I got a little bit stronger over that couple of weeks in certain areas, but I was not getting back everything that I needed. I could, however, on a good day, I can move my middle finger just a little bit. (laughs) not sure what I'll use that for, but on a good day, I can do that. Um, And I learned real quickly, and this goes back to kind of what I've talked about before is, that, that first neck break, though, it was very, it was hard mentally, because I had to figure out how to push through it. But it was, that was a very physical struggle, because my body was adjusting to all these different changes. The second one was probably harder, not physically, but mentally, because I, I became mentally paralyzed. And that's when I had to come to grips that there's a very good chance I'm not going to walk in this life. And all these things that I want to do from a standing position aren't going to happen that way. Right. I, I wanted to be the one to go hike up in the mountains with my son and teach him to fish in upper mountain lakes outside of McCall. Mm -hmm. Like my dad taught me. And I want to be the one to dance with my daughter when she's old enough to get married. And those aren't going to happen that way. And that's hard for anyone to grasp and to realize. Now, fast forward. All right. This last May, my daughter got married. And I'd been thinking about this for a long time. Because when she was a little girl and I was in a wheelchair, usually always on Sunday, but other days of the week, she would come up and she would hold my finger and we would dance and she would spin around in circles and we'd switch hands and she'd go around in a chair and she'd loved it. She really loved it. And I always sat there excited and dreading the day that she got married because I I wanted to dance with her. And I knew she needed that and I didn't want to, I didn't want to say, no, I won't dance with you in front of everybody because now she has to sit on my lap and I try and move around and is it, is it neat? Is is it, is it fun to do? Yes. But half of that time that I'm doing that, it's a really big struggle for me mentally, Mm -hmm. whether I'm dancing with my wife or my daughters. So when she got married Last May, um, we did it, and we it was fun. I brought her out a little rose. We have everybody in this big barn watching us. We got the song going, and I, I come out and give her this rose, and she holds my hand, and she spins in circles around me. And then she sits down on my lap, and I start to spin around, and I run over her dress with my chair. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't get off of it and I'm trying to move around and pretty soon I can't spin anymore because it's all tangled up in my front tire <laughs> and uh I know that everyone who was watching that was just bawling yeah. because it is sweet and it's really neat but there is still to be honest there's a, there's a part of me that was really struggling that whole dance and it's that can be very hard to grasp, even though I still got to do something I really wanted to do. It wasn't the way I wanted to in my mind, and uh, that's always a hard thing for for many of us to deal with is how do you fully enjoy the moment you're in mm-hmm. when you're still kind of wishing it was a little bit different
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, I don't have, have a great answer to that because it's something I still deal with, but I know that. I can't rob others of those experiences just because I may struggle with it because I'll bet everyone who was watching that it was more special to them seeing me in a wheelchair dance with her than it would have been if I was standing. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've learned to, I've learned in my life that I need to give, allow opportunities to happen will attach other people's lives because after that second neck break um i mean i end up a few years later i became a motivational speaker and then i i start and i'm not saying it was quick that was a big struggle to figure that out and then when i start traveling around the country flying on my own to new york city and trying to get a taxi and trying to get around that city on your own oh yeah when you're quadriplegic and I'm not in an electric wheelchair. So I'm like in this manual wheelchair, trying to push around. It's a nightmare. That is not a wheelchair accessible. No, (laughs) but I, I've learned the two of the hardest things. This is my two and I can't move my fingers. (laughs) Two of the hardest things that you can do in this life is one is to ask for help. And the other is to accept it. Mm And, uh, I've learned that there's certain things I can do on my own, but I ask for help anyway, because it will, it saves my energy for other things. So yes, I could probably make it up that hill, but it'll take me a while pushing it. But if I need, if it's early in the morning and I need that energy throughout the day, I'll just ask someone walking by, can you help push me up that hill?
0: Yeah.
1: And I've also learned that by doing that, that person pushing me, I just gave them an opportunity that helped change their day. They now got to serve someone who couldn't really serve themselves. And so it, it helps everyone in the process. And so I'll admit there are a few times that I will specifically, even though I know I can do something and it's not even that hard, I'll ask someone to help me because I know it'll help them. You know what, and,
0: oh, I'm sorry for cutting you off, go ahead.
1: <laughs> you're good, go for it. I, that's, that's something that I've, I've learned to do and I'll purposely pick out certain people that I know may be struggling or mm-hmm. having a hard time and I'll ask them to help me because it helps them take their mind off their own worries and focus on someone else.
0: Yes, I, and I can attest to that. You, you bring up New York City, I was there for a decade. And I remember it's New York. You're always in a rush. It's a, the energy is ridiculous over there. And I was, I, I, I was heading off to something, you know, it was all right event, but I, I noticed an individual in a wheelchair and he asked for help and I'll never forget it because uh, it it's was probably me. Yeah. No, not, not unless you're African-American, but, uh, oh, wow. <laughs> but he was, he was in the chair And he needed to get across uh, Second Avenue, and was so he asked me to let him down and and help him do that. And I just remember how I again I wasn't in a hurry or anything, but it how it helped me to reprioritize everything that I was doing that day. And for for a moment, it really helped me to think of what was important. And that reaching out for help, it was not an inconvenience at all, and it turned out to be. One of the, it was that one's greatest blessing. There's no doubt about that. And so uh, to your point, that is hard to allow people to help, but oh my goodness, what, what it does to the individual on the inside. And I can definitely attest to that. Gary, I'm sure you had plenty of those types of, of experiences as well,
2: right? Oh yeah. I mean, I think that's, there's one thing that I've, that, 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 that's so interesting to me is so much of the healing process is getting out of your own mind and your own needs, you know, and part of that is allowing other people to help, you know, when you're down or when you're hurt. And and I think a big part of it is, this is going to lead me into my next question. I think a big <laughs> part of that is just showing up for the job. You know what I mean? So many people are so concerned that they're not going to say the right thing or do the right thing or whatever, when so much of it, you just need someone there, you know, but anyway, what I wanted to, kind of ask you next is so we started this podcast and you were talking about being paralyzed whether it's physical mental in life and not being able to move forward and speaking from someone who's I mean you've overcome some just incredible obstacles and I think we've all been in those positions in life where we do feel like we can't move and to start making progress is so incremental and so small and difficult what advice would you give someone or what did you do what were strategies that you employ just to get that ball moving just a little bit because as we know the bigger the problem the bigger the mass the harder it is to get going what do you do and first of all you say you don't have great answers but you obviously do
0: yeah (laughs) they may not be perfect
2: they may (laughs) not be the answer that you want but you've got great answers and so what, what, what would you say
1: I th- I think the uh, I I think I wrote some of this stuff in my uh, a book that I wrote a few years ago. But I think some of the things that help help me when I'm feeling stuck um, is to quit looking at the big picture. Mm-hmm. It's to start looking at all right. What are a few things I need to do to go back to the very first thing we talked about? How do I progress? Right. What do I need to do to start progressing? And uh now your your big picture is still your goal, but you gotta bring it all the way back to the little teeny things. And um I remember when I was learning to push a wheelchair and I'm in the hospital and I'm still mostly paralyzed. I've am wrapped with all that, my blood pressure is terrible. I've got all these wraps all over my body and um still have like a fever and all this, and I have hardly any strength. And I've got kind of gloves like this on to help push to give me grip. And they put me in this hallway in the hospital. And they're like, all right, we need to get to the end of the hallway. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I can't even, I can't even push across my room. And you want me to go down this hallway? And this isn't even like on carpet. This is like just flat, (laughs) linoleum. I mean, it's easy stuff to push on. Yeah. But I have no strength, like physically. I can't move. And I remember I could barely move my arms. I wish we had like a full screen on me of what it looked like. But um, I remember looking down that hallway and I'm like, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. And I hate using the word can't, but I was like, I can't do that. And so I would look down at the tiles on the ground and they had different colored kind of tiles as you move down the hallway. And I think, all right, I got to get to that tile. And when I say that, I mean, that tile's like two feet away. Like it's not down the hallway. It's right there. And I'm like, I don't even think I can do that. And I would sit there and I would just like trying to push my chair and it would just rock. It wouldn't even go forward because I couldn't get the strength. And I kept just kind of working at that and they wouldn't let me go. I had a good therapist who's like, keep going and I'm like, you, you're you watching me. I can't go. <laughs> but they believed in me enough. And I think that's one of the one principle right at the top is you have to surround yourself with a superior, superior support system. Mm-hmm. If there are people that bring you down and doubt you, you need to start limiting your time with them or get rid of them. You need to surround yourself with the best people who believe in you and are going to build you up and are going to be there to carry you when you need it. Mm -hmm. It, There's no time in your life to waste on others. So start focusing on that. Surround yourself with a great support system. And so I had that. I had great therapists. I had great family. So it was just now it's me. I've got to do my part. And I remember slowly being able to push inch by inch until I could cross that line and then once you get to that line you would set your next goal and this is nothing new we've heard this throughout our lives but I was living it then like I was living it the most pure form you possibly can and so when I think now in my in my life where I can push past that line easy now is When I need to move forward and I'm getting stuck, I have to set little goals each day because I'm one who I can beat myself up a lot. And in the morning, I can wake up and have a lot of negative thoughts. Or when I go to bed, I'm like, I did not accomplish anything what I thought I was going to. So if I set up little things, so for instance, say three things. This is one of my goals recently was I'm going to read my scriptures every day. I didn't put a time limit on it. I just said, I'm going to read them every day. Um, I am going to, uh, I'm working on learning another language. So I'm going to spend some time on learning another language every day. And I am going to, uh, I'm going to do some type of exercise, you know, five days a week or whatever I'd set it at. I had nothing to do with business stuff. And now you can obviously set business stuff or whatever your other goals are. But those are my three things that I, I set for a while. So that when I went to bed at night, I could at least say I did those things that I said I was going to do. And to me, that was progress. That was a step or a push forward. Yeah. And then I can add on a little bit more as you go. And then you start gaining that speed to move forward. So I think it's take it back to the purest form you can. What are the most important things to to you? And to me at that time, it was my spirituality is key. Um, My health is key. And uh, at that point, it was we were going to be doing a lot of trips to other countries and I wanted to be able to communicate better. And so that was my extra little deal, and uh, I can tell you that when I do those three things,
0: yeah,
1: um, I go to bed happier and I wake up happier. That's and yeah, you always you gotta you always have to have something positive about your life that you've done, and those don't take a lot of time, but they're meaningful to you. Right. Where I may go out and I I can business I may be able to get. in donations and that is so cool but if I didn't read my scriptures that day I feel like I let myself down yeah so what are the things that you can get out of your life that that don't make you feel like you're letting yourself down or others get rid of those quickly and then you can start focusing on the rest
0: you know it's a testament of what I had read about you on you yeah you I believe you're asked two things and that was um what matters most are hope and progress and it's i'm glad you asked that question just because you can see that is a testament to your life and everything that you you're doing and and with that what you're doing with 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 your life since that time i want to pivot a little bit because there you are with your your shirt share the hope oh yeah and i want to talk about that because when i see the ex-president of mexico vicente fox wearing a Boise State University hat, and because you're taking wheelchairs all over the world, um, the impact that you've had on countries, on people, on, on high powered leaders is immeasurable. And I just wondering what you could tell us about what you do with Share the Hope and, and share that enthusiasm with the audience here.
1: Well, there's a man, there's a lot, a lot to that story. Um, and I can't get into all of it, but to summarize it quickly, uh, again, back to my wife, I think my wife's behind everything, but it was four years ago. She had an idea for us to do something big, um, to help others. And so our family rode bicycles. Um, we have four kids now. So we were able to have, after the two neck breaks, we were able to have two more daughters. Wow. Mm-hmm. And, uh, now that's a whole different podcast on how the yes. collegiate has kids. <laughs> Cause I know everybody wonders that, well, how did you do that? Well, <laughs> there are different slides. And, uh, so we've got great kids. And so from her idea, when she brought it to the family that we wanted, she wanted to ride bicycles from Bend, Oregon at the ski resort, where I Broke my neck down to La- Los Angeles. Santa Monica Pier, that's 1200 miles. And uh, from when that idea came up four months later, we were actually on the road riding bikes down along the California coast. And we're not bike riding family, like (laughs) get that straight. Like we're an athletic family, Right. but when this idea came up, we only had three bikes and two of them had flats and there's six (laughs) of us in the family. So I do have a hand cycle, a hand bike that I, that I had. And so in 12 days, we rode 1,200 miles as a family. Oh, Wow. Man. wow. And that's, that's
0: amazing.
1: So nobody rode the whole 1,200. We did it kind of relay style. So we'd all help out and cover for each other and make it work. And we raised $42,000 for wheelchairs. And we gave it to a, another foundation that helps give out wheelchairs. And then I, a month later, we're back home. I go to a Boise State football game, and while there, I was out of my chair for the halftime. And we went to put me back in my chair, and it was gone. Someone had stole my wheelchair. You gotta be kidding me! <laughs> stole my wheelchair at a Boise State football game. But that was awesome. That was really cool. As much as it was inconvenient. Um, as my I'm sitting on my wife's back and she's piggybacking me around trying to find a chair and we have no place to set me down and it made like national news in different ways because who steals somebody's wheelchair Exactly. and we've never found it but it that was a an eye-opener to me because all of a sudden like if you're in America and you get injured you can get a chair like you're not going to go with it. You may not get the $30,000 electric chair you want, but you can get a chair.
0: Right.
1: And it brought, I guess I'd never have that real moment as I was sitting on her back. It hit me again, like crap. Like if I don't have a chair, I don't have anything. Like I can't go anywhere unless somebody else takes me. And uh, because of that and my wheelchair being stolen, it, it, kind of got the ball rolling that we ended up starting this nonprofit called Chair the Hope and in the last three years since we've started it we've been able to to give out over 2,000 wheelchairs and (laughs) next year we'll be giving out another thousand. That's awesome. Um, We've been able to do many local projects from helping build ramps and sidewalks and people's yards to helping people get accessible vehicles that they can drive And we're in a process now in in the Treasure Valley here in the Boise area of trying to build a different abilities park. Wow. Based around helping anyone who has mobility issues Mm. and have all different cool stuff we won't get into right now. But so, yeah, we've been able to travel in the last three years. We've been on, we've created and we take people on these trips with us. So each trip we're giving out a minimum of 280 wheelchairs. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And we take <laughs> between 25 and 35 people and families with us so they can experience it. And we do kind of a humanitarian trip slash vacation. Yeah. So, you know, we're we're in people's homes, lifting them up off the ground, putting them in their first wheelchairs. We're having big mm-hmm. deals. We got a hundred people coming to get wheelchairs. But then you're also going to the beach and you're going ziplining and you're <laughs> seeing the culture. And so we create these trips and people pay to come on them. And it's, it's really, really fun. And so we've created, I think, eight or nine trips now. And uh, we've been in seven different countries on three different continents just in the last three years. And uh, it has been... An amazing ride. Like two years ago, I got to go to the top of Machu Picchu. <laughs> we we're we, were in that, we were delivering wheelchairs in Peru, and I'm like, if "I'm going to Peru. I'm going to Machu Picchu. We're going to figure this out." <laughs> and uh, sure enough, and that's a whole nother story of how they got me to the top of Machu Picchu. Wow! So it is. It's exciting. It's fun, and it changes, and you just have to be, be willing to change. A lot of people are so scared and fearful of change when typically almost always after something big in your life changes, it's for the better. Mm -hmm. And it puts you in a different path that you wouldn't have gone on if you didn't. So I know that if I hadn't been paralyzed, um, there's no way I'd be doing this. This, this wouldn't be a passion. There's there's thousands of people whose lives wouldn't be changed in the way we're doing it. If I hadn't been in a wheelchair. Yeah. And I think, sorry, I haven't given you guys a whole lot of time to talk.
0: No, no, this is awesome. So, this is the way it's
1: meant to be. <laughs> <laughs> like, You guys probably have all these questions and they're not getting marked off, but I, I want to, let me maybe get towards the end with this thought that I've had recently. This is something that's been on my mind a lot. And I think it's a really important principle, whether you're religious or not. Um, but throughout the scriptures, um, there's some scriptures that say this directly or they're kind of hinting towards it. It's about that the, the Lord takes weak, thing, weak things and makes them strong. And uh, there's many different scriptures that are kind of like that worded a little bit differently. And people often... Um, Allude to that with me. They're like, Nathan, you know, you have taken your weakness and you've done great things with it. And I've never liked the way that that was was said to me. And so recently I was I was on a different podcast and someone was asking me a question about that. And they were saying the same thing. Nathan, man, you've taken your weakness. You're kind of like you're you've taken your negative and you've made it a positive. And I sat there thinking as I was on the podcast and I said, I don't think that's true. I don't think what you're saying is right. And it kind of took him back a little bit because you don't want to look like a dork on your own podcast. (laughs) But I, I said, I look at that differently now. I look at me being paralyzed, me being in a chair as my strength, not my weakness. This is my strength. My weakness is what am I willing to do with it? Am I willing to get to, to go the extra effort to do something with this, to help others, to do something with this, to make something greater? And I think that's what all of us, we always think of, well, someone, I have cancer or I lost a, I've lost a child or I'm addicted to something as our weakness What if that's our strength? What if you flip that around? This is your strength that you're you've been addicted to something. And it's very hard, just like it's hard for me to be in a chair. But what are you going to do with that now? That's your weakness if you don't do something with it.
0: Wow. I love that. We always
1: think you're weak to be strong, but it's more like you've got your strong. Are you going to be weak? And I hope we're all great enough to stand up and say, "No, I won't be weak. I'm going to take my strength and I'm going to blow it up, man." We're gonna, <laughs> yeah. we're make it that's cool.
0: Yeah, I I can't contain my amp- amplitude right now. <laughs> I just can't. Gary, Gary's much more uh, reserved than I am, but I guarantee that that crazy smile, right?
2: <laughs> no, no, that that that's extremely powerful. That's so powerful. <laughs> It really is. And it's just a minor adjustment, but there's so much to that. I think that's something I'm going to be thinking about for a while.
0: Oh yeah. No (laughs) doubt. No doubt. I I've got to ask you though. I know that I I can't believe how fast time is flying. Look at the clock. It's blowing my mind. I'm wondering would you be willing to come back with Heather on this and talk about that because it would be fantastic to get that perspective And if not, then I'm going to get friends that I'm sure she knows in Bend, Oregon to to get on her case. So.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah, she would do it. She's she's really she's fun to talk to. And she's got amazing, a whole different perspective that I can't understand of what she goes through. A lot of people always look at me and they're like, man, Nathan, you know, I'm kind of the one in the light. When we go in a room, people look at me because I'm the one in the wheelchair right and i get that um but the things she has gone through and overcome uh yeah. probably just dwarfs the stuff that i've had to go through um but everyone looks at me you know i'm the one up on stage or i'm the one doing it uh it's it's she's extraordinary so yeah i'm sure she'd be willing to come on
0: love it well we both want to thank you for your time I, I, it's just been a pleasure. So thank you. Uh, thank you for making
1: that time for us. <laughs> no, no problem. I, I think it's, I love doing it. Anything I can do to help. Perfect. Hey, Thank you. And we'll catch you soon.